this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we'll be speaking about SPACs with Lazard Middle Markets, Alejandro Cola, and David Iverson. But before we get started, I'd like to ask all of our listeners today to share this episode with their friends and family. It's a huge help to us, and I wanted to thank everyone who's done so before. If you're new to the podcast, please like, comment, and share as it extends our reach, and we really appreciate it when you do so. Additionally, I'd like to thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Lazard Middle Market, which was kind enough to lend us both Alejandro and David to talk about today's topic. Lazard has been providing customized advice on mergers and acquisitions, debt and equity recapitalizations, and financial restructurings in the food industry for over 20 years. Since 2000, the group has completed more than 300 transactions, and if you feel you could use Lazard's expertise, feel free to visit lazardmm.com to learn more or email David and Alejandro directly via the links in the description of this episode. So with that, I'll jump into today's conversation. So first, I want to welcome both Alejandro and Dave to the show. How are you guys, how are you guys doing today? This is David. I'm great. Good to be here, Chris. Yeah, great. Thank you, Chris, for the intro. And, uh, you know, excited to have a discussion around this pack. Yeah, so SPACs are definitely something that are becoming very, very prevalent. We're seeing more and more activity in the food industry. But I think something that people might have a problem with is just understanding exactly what a special purpose acquisition company really is. So I was hoping that you guys could get, you know, explain to our audience what the basics of a SPAC are. Sure. At the end of the day, a SPAC is a corporation formed with the purpose of raising investment capital through an initial public offering. And the, the, the use of that money will be to make an acquisition or multiple acquisitions. In most cases, um, in, I would say in all cases, that uh, target acquisition is not identified at the time of the IPO. Uh, what you can see in the SPAC filings uh, when they're all public as ones particular is some characteristics of the SPAC target market, like sector or size of the company, so growth stage. So at the end of the day, the SPAC raised capital through an IPO, gets the money from individual and institutional investors, and then money goes to a trust. That trust will keep the money, will manage the money until either one, the SPAC identifies a target and go through a successful merger with the target, or the SPAC expires. And that's something else of the structure of the SPAC that is very interesting, which is they have a, a, a lifetime. Normally it's between 18 and 24 months, after which if they have not identified and successfully merged with a target, the trust will return the money to the investors and the SPAC will liquidate. Now, how does the SPAC start is the other interesting aspect of it is a group of individuals um, generally formed by experienced business executives, and we call these the founders of the SPAC, that are very confident that given their reputation, experience in certain segments of the market, industries, growth stage of companies, can identify targets and merge with them, take them public and have a successful uh, public company. So the founders will be um, most likely former executives of large companies, small companies, entrepreneurs, experienced hedge fund managers. You can see a number of them in the market and they are going to be actually the selling point of the SPAC. So that's in essence what the, the, we will see the structure of the SPAC. So Alejandro, would you be able to explain a little bit of why these SPACs are so hot right now? It seems every day we're seeing a new headline with another SPAC that's coming out. So maybe you can give a little flavor on why there seem to be resurging in popularity right now. Yeah, that's, listen, at the end of the day, the SPACs um, 
are not something new. I mean, they have been around for the last, I would say, 30 years. They started in 1993. So there have been a few cycles of SPACs and successful cycles of SPACs. Uh, but definitely the, the market we are in today is by, by far the strongest. Just to put it in perspective, I think the last one was 2007. And the overall 2007 was, you know, 66 SPACs, IPOs and 12 billion of, of capital raise. If we look at 2020, we have about 83 billion of capital raise and 248 IPOs. So that gives you a little bit of a sense that even though it's not a new uh, instrument, the popularity that we see today has, is unprecedented. So why, why do we have that? Well, there's a couple of reasons and obviously COVID played a role here. As we got uh, into 2020, I would say end of 19, beginning of 2020, pre-COVID, um, there were many early stage companies. And if you can remember, they call unicorns that went public and went uh, through an IPO, the traditional IPO. Now, uh, all these new companies, early stage, high growth in innovative sectors, really struggle through the IPO. And some of them have even some some legal issues uh, as they were going public or they were public. So kind of the IPO market shut down uh, and the scrutiny around these new high growth, early stage companies became much, much, uh, much higher. Um, that way the IPO market kind of uh, closed for these companies. At the same time, um, you have in parallel uh, companies like Virgin Galactic uh, who close a successful SPAC transaction in October of 19. So on one hand, you have the public IPO market shutting down for these kind of companies, Virgin Galactic going through a successful uh, merge with us with a SPAC. So we are in March, April, COVID hits, and it really exacerbated the um, challenging condition of the public market. So the public markets were less viable for this kind of company, not only for this kind of company, for most companies trying to go through an IPO. Uh, there was uh, a significant volatility. Markets were up and down, uh, including seven, eight percent in one day. So that created a, a, the IPO a, a really less uh, viable vehicle for either early stage company or any company thinking about an, an IPO. Um, the second part is that in combination of the public markets, in general, the, the capital markets venture funds or, or debt capital market with the COVID became much way more selective and careful on the investment. So again, that was, if you look at the companies seeking for capital, all these uh, alternatives become a less viable uh, opportunity. Now, the SPAC market had another successful uh, kind of call it merger with uh, DraftKings. And I think it was around April of 2020. So. You have in parallel most capital markets shutting down, a lot of uncertainty, and these you know kind of successful stories about the SPAC market coming to to the pub. So um, as early stage company, high growth companies, and companies in general with COVID out there creating a lot of uncertainty, look at the possibility of raising capital or getting liquidity. The SPAC market became a more attractive opportunity. The SPAC market, and we're going to dive into that a little bit later, really focuses on forecast and future performance. An IPO, you know, only focus on historical numbers. In the M&A market, you also kind of focus on 
kind of historical numbers as well, but the SPAC gives you the opportunity to say, hey, forget about this COVID, forget about current situation, look at my high growth company five years from now, that really opens you know, the possibility for companies to use the SPAC as a more stable and a, and a better uh, vehicle for, for raising capital. The SPAC offers simpler process, a shorter process than the IPO. I would say it's even in many cases simpler than running a full M&A process. Um, and there was, uh, I would say, also the part that you have to deal with the founder. So initially, when you're a company and you go through a SPAC process, you have to sell the deal to that group of founders. Remember, experienced executives, they know the markets, they have been running companies. So we really have to sell the deal to a smaller group of investors. So I think all that um, combined created a, a significant demand or opportunities or companies looking for that SPAC uh, vehicle to fund their business to generate liquidity. Now, on the other hand, you need capital coming into the SPAC market. And as, as everybody remembers, throughout the 2020, again, public markets were very uncertain. There was uh, probably until the third quarter, uh, a lot of up and downs. Uh, there were limited opportunities for capital to really have some you know, high returns. So money started looking at the SPACs and there are some example of IPOs, looking at the returns, look at the opportunities, looking at the opportunity of getting into early stage companies or high growth companies. And all that combined created you know, an inflow of capital, again, about $80 billion uh, in 2020. And as you give an idea, year to day, another $80 billion coming to the SPAC market. Now, put things in perspective, um, for those who you know, want to put this into, into some benchmark, as of April 2020, private equities were sitting on $1.5 trillion. So yes, it's a lot of money compared to the previous market, this $80 billion or uh, combined between 20 and year to day, $21, $160 billion. But when you look at what is really the amount of cash and the amount of liquidity out there, it's, 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 a, it's a small percentage. And could you speak a little bit about the life cycle of a SPAC? Give people an idea of you know inception to completion, how that process works? AC, maybe I'll jump in here. Uh, I think, Chris, the life cycle to me, as a member, if, if I'm a member of the Food Institute, and I am, this is where things start to get pretty interesting. Um, it's, a, it's a very unique feature of SPACs. Remember, when a SPAC initially goes public, it's just a whole, it's all it's doing is holding cash. And it's got 18 to 24 months of a life. And said another way, once this SPAC goes public, it's got a, uh, a ticking clock. And the thing starts ticking more loudly as time goes on. So a successful SPAC goes through broadly three stages. There's the IPO itself, and that's where the founders take it public. Um, it's all the same steps, legal, regulatory that any company would have going public, except because it has no operations, you might argue it's a little less to worry about a little easier. So this is, for example, the stage that today the post SPAC is in. It's announced it's going public. It's in the process of going public. The second stage of a successful SPAC is that target search. So as, as AC said, once you're public as a SPAC, now you're trying to find the ideal transaction for you. And so the founders of the SPAC are out trying to find a public, a company that fits its stated criteria and makes a good public company. When they find it, 
they'll negotiate a transaction structure with that target. The main points probably to know today about that structure is it, it sets a valuation and it sets the percentage of the company sold. Once that deal struck, usually the SPAC founders will work with the sellers of the company that are going, that are being purchased to go convince the SPAC shareholders of the merits of that deal. And then the final step is an actual vote by the existing shareholders. It's a yes or no vote. The good news that is, is that if it really gets that far, typically that vote's yes. And if it's yes, the deal gets consummated on that agreed upon deal in terms and valuation. Now, the final stage is, is then what you call a de-SPAC. It's the actual formal merger of that public shell of a SPAC into that target company that then trades like any other public company. Of course, an unsuccessful SPAC never gets to the end. And when it doesn't, and sometimes they don't, they give their money back to shareholders and that SPAC's gone. All right. So one of the things I think people are probably a little confused on would be just the the main differences between a SPAC and a traditional IPO. I think people are a little bit more familiar with the traditional IPO process. So could you guys kind of showcase the main differences between those two that might illuminate, you know, the subject a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah, let, I'll start Alejandro and then maybe you can help me out. Um, initially, they're quite different at the onset. And that's because the IPO is that first public sale of your company's shares. These companies typically have you know, operations and it's the operations that are valuable. So Chris, if a Food Institute member company were gonna go public via an IPO, it would be selling its shares directly to the public. It would fill out a bunch of documents with the government and you know, or the regulatory on those initial shares. The materials would have all sorts of information on the company's operations. And it's those operations of the company that are driving the value and the shareholders are buying into that. The company's usually not going through any fundamental changes in management or anything. And, and it goes public with the initial public shareholders that want to own that operating, that those operations. Now, as we've discussed initially for a SPAC, as it becomes public, the shareholders are really buying into the potential of the founders to go get a good deal. And there, you'll even see those initial shareholders in that initial SPAC are much more speculative, right? They're, they're, they're trying to see if there's a good deal or if they can make some money. And then what happens is it becomes an M&A process effectively. So if a Food Institute member, Chris, were going to go public via a SPAC, they're effectively selling their company to the SPAC. And it's really an M&A process more than it is anything. Now, in the long run, there isn't much of a difference because once that SPAC de-SPACs, as is said, and that operating company is really the SPAC now, over the long run, they're just public companies. So for the most part, the difference up front, long run, no difference. Of course, the shareholders could be a little different up front. And, and AC, I think you'll maybe talk about that later. Um, Chris, I think it's it might be worth going through a few um, attributes of, of, of SPACs and things and talk about how they, how they're advantaged or disadvantaged in an IPO. Yeah, I think, I think that would be a great topic to jump into. And I think, you know, as we've seen food companies kind of entering into the SPAC space, you know, we've seen UTS, Dry Foods, Post Holdings, et cetera. I think this would be a good point for our listeners to get an idea, you know, what are the advantages uh, and the disadvantages of, of trying to go through this process? This is really, honestly, Chris, where I think a lot of people's eyebrows have been raised lately is, is the valuations that SPACs are seeing. Um, 
remember that a SPAC and IPO, they're both ultimately a public company. And in the long run, it shouldn't matter much. But in the short run, there are a couple of differences. One, um, I think AC alluded to it, but a SPAC has more ability to share forward-looking information than an IPO candidate does. And what that can mean is that a SPAC can potentially be priced more on forward-looking information than an IPO can. And that can attract a different kind of shareholder and a different valuation. And that's one of the reasons why you've seen a lot of tech companies and a lot of high growth companies go through a SPAC, is they're able to talk about the future more than an IPO candidate is. And at that very instance then can maybe look towards more value or more acceptance. The second valuation difference is in that SPAC, as, as we talked about, it's an M&A process really when it finds its target. And so once that deal is struck, if the shareholders approve it, it's priced. It's already set. We're going to pay the seller this much for this much of the company. Whereas an IPO, th- what really happens is the second it goes public, the market decides what it should really be priced at. So that's that's the valuation differences uh, in a SPAC. The second thing maybe to talk about is the amount sold. In a typical IPO, you're selling a very small minority of the company. Typically, you're talking 20 to 30% of your company that you're selling to the public markets. In a SPAC, anything is possible. There are SPACs where 100% have been sold. There are SPACs where virtually nothing has, you know, has been sold, but anything is possible. There's more flexibility typically. The one thing that's really important, I think, for, your, for our members to know is for most of the SPACs getting done today, though, you're still selling a minority. So the average amount that's being sold of a company through a SPAC is 40%, which means you, the seller, still own the majority of a public company now going forward. And that's got advantages and disadvantages. AC, maybe you want to talk about some other attributes or disadvantages, advantages of SPAC versus IPO? Yeah, I think the other important one, and, and, and you kind of touch on that, Dave, is the shareholder base. Uh, a SPAC deal, you initially deal with a small group of uh, shareholders you need to educate, which is the founders. So they are going to want the ones buying the story. They're the ones with whom you will have your initial, initial contact. Now, the founders normally are experienced executives growing companies. Um, they are executives that have experience in the space and building brands and manufacturing. So it's, it's easier to sell the story. Once they buy the story, then in a combined effort with the founders, the company owners and the founders will sell the story to the SPAC. Um, in an IPO, you basically have your underwriters going to the market and trying to allocate the shares to a group of institutional investors that uh, will, will have to buy the story. Um, so that's a, a critical difference. Now, the important thing about the SPAC is even though you have that initial group of founders that you know they're going to be part of your shareholder base, once you start, as they said, the DSPAC process, the uh, shareholder base could be very uncertain in a SPAC versus an IPO. As I said before, an IPO, you will allocate the shares to a number of institutional investors that will like the story. Those institutional investors, we have a style of investment uh, focused on certain segments. Now on the, on the SPAC, uh, given the redemption that the 
SPAC shareholders have the right to, you might end with a very different shareholder base than when you started. I mean, if the shareholders of the SPAC, even they can vote yes, but they decide to redeem their shares, then you have a change in the, in the, in the shareholder base. So the other thing is the timing. I mean, let's assume that two companies are ready to go to uh, ready to go public. They have all the uh, you know audits, internal controls, right executives in place. The SPAC uh, is is a really shorter process, simpler process than than the IPO. So time consumed that you will require to get public through an SPAC versus an IPO it's, it's different. And the one uh, final thing it's uh, it's, it's it's worth mentioning. It's there's limited data about it, but if you compare in the history the traditional IPO versus the SPAC, um, the, the performance of the SPAC really the, the SPAC have underperformed the IPOs in, in, in throughout the history. We need to be careful about that because, as we say in the history, these were in, used in the past a lot for high growth companies that could not access the IPO market. But at the end of the day, um, when you look at the stats, the, the IPO company have outperformed the, the SPACs. So recently, like I've said, we've seen a lot of food companies entering the SPAC space. Uh, you know, some recent examples include App Harvest, Pulse Holdings, Uts, Strive Foods. So I was wondering if you guys could give some, uh, you know, clarity on commonalities you see among these SPACs in the food industry and maybe some of the differences and kind of the overall uh, lay of the land in the food industry when it comes to SPACs right now. Let's start, Chris, by separating Post out of that list, because as we talked about, Post has announced it's forming a SPAC. It has not officially gone public yet and become a SPAC, whereas the other ones have all been companies that have merged or sold or de-SPAC'd. Okay. So as we look at these, there's probably six companies we're looking at going back a couple of years. There was uh, Simply Good Food, which is the Atkins brand. That did it. That that did a SPAC. Whole Earth Brands, which among other things is the uh, sugar substitute equal brand. Utz, which is a snacking company. Tattooed Chef, much more recently, which is plant-based products. Strive, which is a bit long. Bit, uh, excuse me, built on jerky company. And App Harvest, which is a tech company. If we look at those six companies and say what's similar. What we'd say is each one would probably consider themselves in some way a better for you or better for the world company, Chris. At a minimum, each one would certainly consider themselves playing into a really important consumer trend. It could be better for you. It could be snacking. It could be sugar replacement, plant, tech. But they're all, they all have a story there related to that in our view. And when you set aside our App Harvest, which is tech, which by the way, outside of food has been a really hot area, each would consider themselves branded. Those are all brands at the consumer level. Um, the three most recent ones um, that have happened, let's say over the last several months, have all been smaller and much higher growth. And we've talked a little bit about that and, and why that can be an advantage. So those are some similarities on the differences it's interestingly they've all got pretty different products they've all got varying consumer value propositions and even different consumers um and the the, the first few uts whole foods simply foods are, are more mature companies with a more scale and profitability whereas the last ones were much less mature and, and growing rapidly so we do see fundamental things among them but there's clearly a lot of differences among them too. 
So kind of going off those differences, you know, obviously every company has its own set of specific conditions and circumstances. So if a food company is looking to decide if a SPAC is the right vehicle for them, what kind of decision criteria should they be looking for? Great question. And we are having this conversation probably daily with somebody. And I guess I think we think about it maybe three to three parts. First, if you're thinking about SPAC, first, make sure you should be and want to be public. A lot of people are looking at valuations and looking at this and saying, hey, but you know, there's a lot of reasons to be public. You're, you're getting inexpensive capital. You're increasing the profile of your company. You're diversifying your shareholder base. There's all sorts of reasons, but it can be expensive. And there's lots of regulatory burdens and it's not a short-term decision. You have regular reporting, you're dealing with analysts. And at the end of the day, as we talked about, often you're a majority owner now of a company you really in some ways don't control fully. Once you've decided that, you gotta make sure you're ready to be public because when you're public, after you've despacked, you're, you've gotta operate like a regular public company. And it can often take a company who isn't prepared six to 12 months to be ready. It's audits, it's internal controls, it's personnel, it's regulatory. So if you're thinking about this, you have to be making sure you're ready. And then third, as we think about it in more granularly and more um, ex- in a more exciting way, we talked about the advantages of a SPAC and what we're seeing. Or you know, you've got advantages like certainty around the valuation you strike. Strike. You can use forward-looking information. You can pick your SPAC partner who might bring the founders might bring things to you you don't have. If you look at what's been successful, kind of stack yourself up against those. How's your growth story? You got to have growth, probably. Are you playing into strong consumer trends? Do you have a capital need that you can need funded? Are you tech-enabled? How's the brand? Do you have things that the SPAC management team can bring to you like brand building or manufacturers? And to us, those things educate you on how good, how, how, how good a SPAC might be for you. The last thing we'll note is even looking into SPACs, it can be a little expensive, right? If you, like we said, if you got to prepare. So I'd, I'd say, you know, get some advice, think about it and, and, and don't take it lightly. Yeah, and, and Chris, may I add, I think one of the important things as you look into the SPAC market and everybody's looking at, at, we said before, the valuation, right? This, this is, the valuations are staggering, but when you go through, a, through the thought process of going SPAC, as we alluded before, most of the times as an entrepreneur-owned business, you will be required to roll significant equity. So you need to have somebody to walk you through the mass of the advantage of doing this versus other alternative for liquidity purposes, even for capital raise purposes. The other final is speak with people about being public. It's it's a big transition to be a company that is you know single owned or a group of shareholders where decisions are made by by them. Then going public where every decision you make that is material will be go through the scrutiny of the of the market. All right. So after a company has gone through the decision criteria, they decide that you know a SPAC seems to be the right. Uh, process for them. What's the next step? Where, th- where should they go in, the, in that process of exploring a SPAC? The, the first thing you need to do is get a good group of advisors, uh, particularly a lawyer that is very well versed in, in SPACs. Um, so they can walk you through the regulatory requirements, through the um, filing requirements. Also get a good accounting firm with experience in public companies so they can tell you exactly 
where are you today and how far you are from getting ready for, for the public market, but also inform you of the systems that will require, personnel you will require to become or be a public company. Don't forget that public companies, not only getting public is, is a big step, but also once you get public, you have quarterly reportings, reporting to shareholders, reporting to the investment community. So there's a whole set of uh, legal accounting that uh, you really need to talk to, to people that know and, and, and first of all, gauge where you are today, how far you are from getting there. And then once you are there, understand all the requirements that you will need to go through as, as, a, public, as a public entity. I think that's, that's extremely important. Um, the other part is um, get a financial advisor to help you um, to go through all that, to understand also the costs the one-time cost, but the ongoing cost of, of being public, because there has a significant increase in, in, the, in the overhead. Um, also have a financial advisor making you understand, as I said before, the trade-off, right? I mean, this is the evaluations in the public market. This is how much you're most likely are going to be able to cash out. This is how much you're going to have to roll and how is that versus um, a traditional M&A process. And I think also, as I said before, and, and, and it's part of this process to talk to people, talk to people about being public, understand the implications of being public. So you are very clear on the on the steps you need to take. We are in the you know end of the first quarter here of 2021. So I'm wondering if you guys could put on your fortune teller hats and basically tell me what you think the prospectus is for SPACs in 2021 as we close out the rest of this year, the last three quarters. Uh, yeah, Chris. Unfortunately, uh, we cannot put that fortune teller hat. Uh, we're not allowed to speculate. As a matter of fact, our lawyers, you know, uh, ask us to let you know that there cannot be any assurance that any events or outcomes discussed here today for the future are going to happen. So basically, we don't have that magic uh, magic hat. Now, however, um, there are a few things uh, to note about the current market. Right? I said before the previous. Uh, I think it was 2007 market record was 12 billion of capital raise. I think 2020 was 82, 2021 year today, I think surpassed that amount is $86 billion. So that gives you a size, a sense of the magnitude of the amount of money out there looking for targets in the short term. Remember you have between 18 and 24 months to find those, those targets. Um, Either this suggests that it's going to be tremendous activity and, and the dispacking process with a lot of those targets, but also you could have potentially a lot of SPAC having to redeem their shares as they get to their 24 or 18th month of life and, and didn't find a target. So they will have to, to dissolve. Um, also the number of packs uh, indicates you that don't forget all the SPACs that go through the transaction, find a target, go through the DSPAC process, they become an operating public company, they will have to find and they will have to, if you want, fight for, for, for research coverage. At the end of the day, you're going to be a public company and one of the things you want is having research covering you so your stock is traded and you have liquidity in the market because at some point in the future, current shareholders will like to, to get some liquidity. So there is going to be a lot of activity. There is a lot of cash chasing uh, assets and it's going to be competitive. So um, it's kind of our view. I don't know, Dave, you have anything to add to that? No, other than just, I'd say, strap on your helmets for it because a lot's going to happen one way or another, Chris. 
So if there's a Food Institute member who wants to contact you to learn more about SPACs, what's the best way for them to reach out to Lazard Middle Market? Well, Chris, I, I, I think uh, you introduced us very nicely at the beginning. Um, Alejandro and, and I are easy to find along with our team. And I think maybe we'll just put our email contact information alongside wherever we're going to post this. We look forward to talking to anybody who has any questions. Thank you, sir. All right, excellent. And I think that brings us to the end of today's session. Uh, remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. And once again, a major thanks to Lazard Middle Market for sponsoring this episode and giving us the talent. Make sure to visit them at lazardmm.com, or you can email David and Alejandro directly for any inquiries. And like David said, we will share the email addresses in the description of this video, so you can just click there. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell, signing off. Thank you.